Arturo Marán. Arturo de dónde? Estamos aquí de Saicedo. Welcome, you are listening the Spoken Tour. Bienvenidos, están escuchando The Spoken Tour. Bienvenue, vous êtes en train d'écouter The Spoken Tour. All right, it is Sunday, January 14th. We are in the town... 2018. 2018, first spoken episode of 2018. And we are in the town of Loja in Ecuador, the very southern part. And we wanted to start this episode with one of our favorite kinds of stories, and that's the self-deprecating kind. <laughs> It's from way back in Colombia, when we were just starting to realize how cold the Andes were going to be. And we were in this town, and Tom got the urge to go shopping for some warm layers. Wool socks, to be specific. We had some trouble, though, didn't we? Yeah, we had... We had quite a bit of trouble. We were so confident as we walked out into the market looking for wool socks, which we were convinced the word for wool was uh, lanya. Or lanya. Lanya. So we go out there and, you know, we're in, we're like at like 10,000 feet elevation, warm clothing in many of the shops. Yeah, it's like alpaca fur sweaters yeah. and caps at every store we go to, but nobody seems to have wool socks. Yeah, no one has calcetines de leña. And so we're going around, we're asking everyone, like clearly they have a store full of wool goods. <laughs> oh, hola, tienes, estamos buscando unas calcetines de leña. Um, and we're just getting the weirdest looks. Like people, people were just sh kind of shaking their heads looking at it and we were we were getting so frustrated because yeah. we realized that these shops have to have calcetines de leña they have to have wool socks but and, their reactions were just so weird yeah. and negative and so we're getting so we're getting so irked um until finally we we reach one shop and we're like we're starting to get an attitude when we're asking these people about calcetines de leña. Yeah, and, throwing our hands up, yeah. you know, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> wool socks? Thinking that we're, like, you know, so knowledgeable and just can't believe it. And finally we get to, we end up having dinner with a friend who lives in Pasto that night. And we're telling them, you know, they're asking us, <laughs> This hey, was, like, our big story for yeah. the day. Like, well, get this. Yeah. We went around to all the shops and nobody had wool socks. Can you believe it? And this conversation is going on in Spanish. So when we get to the point where we're describing that we're looking for calcetines de leña, our friends look at us like, wait, what? Yeah, you, you idiots. Wool is lana, not leña. Leña means wood. Firewood. <laughs> yeah. And so we're, we realized that we'd been going around town asking for For so for wooden wooden socks, socks made of firewood. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, that's that's always quite humbling. Yeah. But oh yeah, that kind of set the tone for for being back in the Andes and just uh, a very very gut check of uh, being at altitude again and seeing that we have bike kits that were prepared for cent the the coastal heat of Central America. But we've been making do. So then we left Sockless from Pasto and crossed the border to Ecuador. But we arrived at the border hoping to cross in a speedy fashion. 
and it was like something out of one of those nightmare travel movies where everything goes wrong at every step of the way. And we get to the the Ecuadorian border, and the line for the immigration office is out the door and around the corner. Like legitimately, around like around the block. Yeah, of the, like the immigration office. Like when we pulled up, you, you we couldn't see the end of the line. Yeah, and so we were like, "There's like no way this has to be some sort of you know, the, we're, that's not the line that we're going to be standing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it can't be. Yeah, Tom, go find our yeah. line. <laughs> and so sure enough, it's our line, and we're waiting. I think it took us what five five hours yeah. to get through. And uh, as we're waiting in line, we were, you know, hearing people talk and, you know, just shooting the shit. And we're standing in line with our bikes, so people are talking to yeah. us. It's like we stand out like a sore thumb, as always. And we found out that um, the majority of people in line were from Venezuela, um, just due to all of kind of the political instability in Venezuela, the insane inflation um that's going on there that there's almost like a mass exodus of people leaving venezuela largely over land so they left venezuela coming through colombia crossing the ecuadorian border and a lot of them are heading to lima in peru for work and uh yeah i don't know it was it was, it was pretty crazy um especially just being around the holidays and you're yeah. seeing families with little tiny kids you're seeing um, you know, husbands and wives that are kind of solo, um, traveling across the border with the hopes of finding work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, it was just an interesting, interesting, probably, I don't know. I mean, it, it's weird calling it an interesting border crossing, but I don't know. It was something that we hadn't experienced before. Yeah. It stood out because there were clearly like, you think of crossing borders as being like an international experience, but for the most part, it's been super easy for us. Just, you know, show up, get a stamp, move along. But this one, uh, this was a case where the social and economic and political environment was clearly visible at this border crossing. And just to put the, Tom touched on inflation, and neither one of us are economists, but for, just from what we've heard, we've uh, been able to put, put the inflation in Venezuela in a little bit of context. Um, one of the people, one of the couples that we were talking to mentioned that in order to buy uh, half a dozen eggs. It is literally like a stack of cash. Yeah, like a like, like the a, kind that you'd see a four in a four or five inch stack of cash. Yeah, in like a a movie where there's a huge money laundering operation and it's going into briefcase. Like imagine a huge briefcase of cash, like buying you one meal or something. It, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and just it's wild knowing that it's just like one country over. Um, and yeah, we're, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. We're, we'll be crossing the border into Peru overland um, in about a week or so, and it'll be interesting to see if it's the same the mm-hmm. same situation when when we cross that border. Um, but on kind of a, a lighter, goofier note, as we we're waiting in line with our big ass bikes, at least an hour, maybe more, into the wait. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, big bikes, you know, neon shirts just sticking out like sore thumbs. And this other touring cyclist comes down the hill um, to the border station, sees us, comes right up to us. He's this young kid from Bogota and um, just starts, you know, talking a million miles an hour. Yeah. And uh, within the first five minutes is asking us, you know, if, if we can watch his stuff when he goes back across the border into Colombia because he is getting wire transferred money and yeah. we're just like dude like first off like 
that sounds sketchy no matter where you are, but like being at a border, everything's just like, everything's just inherently a little bit more sketchy. Yeah. And, uh, and he's asking us if he can hop in line with us. Yeah. And, and just cut, cut yeah. all, like cut, literally cut hundreds of people. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, dude, like, ah, oh, like, you know, solidarity with being other touring cyclists, but like, you're kind of you you're know, kind of not being so yeah, chill it's not, right now. It's not like you're, you're just sneaking in. It's like you have a big, <laughs> yeah. humongous bike. Um, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we kind of like passively don't give him any straight answers, and he just comes in line with us. And uh, he ends up going back over to Columbia, comes back. Yeah, I mean, he has enough time to cross the border back into Columbia, come back to the line at the immigration office just to give you an idea of how long this line was. And um, we realized that our original plan for riding that day was going to get cut short just because we had planned on an extra four to five hours of riding, but that was changed by the immigration line. And so he asks if he can ride with us uh, to the town we're going to, and you know we're like, sure, you know why not? You can, yeah. We'll we'll find a place to stay, and uh, we end up riding to town, and we're staying at this. Uh, uh, this firehouse with with a group of bomberos, and um, by the end of the night, he has kind of confronted Ty and I both about how he wants to join us for the rest of our ride yeah. to Patagonia. <laughs> and um, and at this point, it has just become painfully clear that we did not have the kind of team chemistry where a sustained partnership was going to be feasible. Like he was just. Like Tom said, he was just talking a million miles an hour. Young, he's um, young. He's like 18. Super young, yeah. He like didn't really have any camping equipment with him. He was trying to smoke a joint in the firehouse like with all these firemen around. Yeah. Just certain things that raised a lot of red flags for Tom and I. And, and we knew that when the sun came up the next day that we didn't really want to stay with this kid yeah. he had good intentions but it just wasn't uh it wasn't a good good chemistry yeah so we end up telling we wake up the next day and we end up telling him hey man you know we discussed with the two of us we've been on this trip for about seven months now we got our own dynamic um it's cool if you want to ride with us for another day but uh after we reached i think it was the town of ibarra we're gonna split ways and he was like kind of okay hesitant and then we actually got to the town of Ibarra, and it came to the moment where we were actually going to split ways, and he just Tearful kept goodbye. He just kept holding on and asking to stay with us, and like it got to the point where it was very uncomfortably confrontational. Where yeah. I pretty much was just like, we were like, dude, so and this is you know all in Spanish, so it's just like even a little bit extra awkward because you can't fully you can't make it as graceful. Right. Um, it's like hard to empathize yeah. with him. We're just kind of like barking yeah. at this kid like, no, we're not. Yeah, you like, can't come yeah, with us. Like, dude, like, sorry, man. We got our own trip. You got your own trip. Like, yeah. you know, sorry. Yeah. And then he starts crying and we're just like, oh, my God, what do we do? It's like we broke up with this yeah. little kid. And then um, he was just he's like, all right, well, I'm going to sell my bike. I'm going to stop this tour. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, it was so absolutely painful. Yeah. So then we tried to right the ship a little bit and sit him down and tell him that, you know, he's a he's a good cyclist and he's got this really ambitious idea and it's super cool what he's doing and that he should continue to pursue it even if it is by himself. And you know, we were trying to encourage him a little bit even though we were also telling him goodbye. 
Um, and I don't know. We, we kind of left on uncertain terms. We weren't sure what he ended up deciding, but we certainly wish him the best and hope yeah. that he's out there still uh, still on his bike, still seeing the world, and still doing the trip that he wants to do. Yeah, that was, that was just a, a very, one of the most awkward, just like painful, awkward yeah. moments of the trip. But luckily, right after that, um, Ty and I had come up with a pretty badass plan for um, kind of Christmas and the holidays. And so we started kind of charging towards some of Ecuador's volcanoes. And the first one on our list was uh, Cotopaxi. And so we, after a quick uh, stint in Quito, um, we headed up to Cotopaxi and yeah, we spent what, like three days mm-hmm. around Cotopaxi and I mean, it was, it's, it, it's like Cotopaxi is kind of this iconic standalone, like the epitome, like what, what you imagine when you think of a volcano, it's like perfectly conic, it's got, it's snow capped, um, like absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Um, and we had killer weather. Um, I mean, it was, it, it was one of the cooler Christmases. Yeah. We've that for sure um and so after killing a couple days around there like hiking and just doing day rides throughout the national park up there oh wait the tent oh god (laughs) yeah i tried to block that out of my memory (laughs) so as we're packing up it's this wonderfully sunny blue sky morning and um we'd gotten some rain the night before so we're drying everything out this morning as we're packing up and uh We've got the fly off the tent, we've got that drying, we've got the footprint um, like pulled out and away and that's drying, and we've got the tent drying as well, but unstaked. Got music playing in the background. It's just a lovely yeah. morning. Yeah. I think we even <laughs> brewed coffee, like yeah. one of the three times that we'd ever brewed coffee ourselves. And then this gust of wind comes up and f- takes the tent, like flips it over, maybe rolls it once or twice, but it, you know it's like still within reach. So Tom and I, you know, drop what we're doing, and we go, ah, the tent, and we start running, (laughs) and the wind is blowing it in these slow revolutions, but just keeping it, like, rolling one step ahead of us, rolling, rolling, (laughs) rolling, and and we're looking at it, and we're looking at this lake, this pond that's behind it, and we're saying, oh, please, God, no, do not (laughs) let it go in that No, we're going to get it before that. Tom, (laughs) grab And then this one final, like, haymaker gust of wind picks it up off the ground and deposits it squarely smack dab in this pond. Yeah, just, just far enough in the pond where you couldn't reach it. Yeah. And so our eye, we stop. Our eyes, you know, wide-eyed. We don't know what to do. We're looking around like... Yeah, literally, we start running. It, it. We literally start running around, like, looking for stuff to, to grab the tent. And then in my mind... I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, I'll just grab the tent poles and, like, maybe I'll be able to, you know, fish, fish line the tent out with the tent poles. So I start running around looking for the tent poles only to realize the tent poles yeah. are still in the tent that is floating away in the lake. After about 20, 30 seconds of frantically running around trying to find something to pull it out, we realize that... Uh, it's going to require a physical retrieval. <laughs> so at that point, I got in the pond. It is like the, the kind of water that would exist in a municipal golf course water hazard. <laughs> that is perfectly described. Just like, you know, smells like shit because it's full of duck shit. Yeah. And it's just that kind of water that you think like, man, a horse or a cow wouldn't even drink out of this <laughs> if it were in their trough. 
Uh, so we pulled it out, and as we're pulling it out, like the resistance on the water is like so strong. It takes like a good two minutes to slowly, slowly pull it out of the water. And as it's as it's being pulled out, the mesh of the the tent roof is like a coffee filter. And as we're pulling it, all of this gunk and shit is just getting L- literal hot. shit, like like literal shit, like turds, like yeah. duck turds. <laughs> It's just getting caught in the mesh of the roof of the tent. It's green slime. And by the time we pulled it out, it's just totally full of grime and shit and smells exactly like you would expect it to smell yeah. after being in that. Our house. This is, a, this is our home. Yeah, that's when we came to the realization that our home had just been flung into yeah. a mess of shit. <laughs> And so then we pretty much reorganized our day to arrive somewhere where we could wash the tent that night. And we did. And it's pretty much back to normal now. Yeah. And that was probably one of the hardest we've... I mean, we, luckily we were able to find the the humor in it, ap- like, immediately. Yeah. And we were just... I mean, it was... Abs- it was like tears running down your face. Yeah. Gut-busting laughter. Yeah. Guys, which, which guys makes it easier. have planned this whole trip, you know, based around their skills as outdoorsmen. And yeah, <laughs> self-sufficiency for a whole year. We're just going to be on our own. And then we let our tent fly into a murky <laughs> pond full of scum. Oh, man. Yeah. So then it was... Uh, we had decided that we were going to spend New Year's in this town that everyone has been... Everyone in Ecuador, the further south we've been getting, has been saying um, the town of Baños uh, is an awesome, beautiful town. So we're like, oh, killer. We'll get there. We'll spend New Year's there. It'll be great. Yeah. And we arrive in Baños. We, we'd even planned, like, all right, like, we'll get there maybe two days early and we can start slowly adjusting our sleep schedule. That way, maybe, maybe we can <laughs> stay up till midnight yeah. in this fun party town. And we get there and we're just like, what the hell? Are we, what the <laughs> hell are we doing? It's like... There's, you know, just total tourist trap, bars, like, just discotheques everywhere. And we're like, this, like, what? Why do we, why do we convince ourselves that this is what would be fun for us? Just because, I mean, it sounds, like, pretty pathetic, but it's just, like, we can't, it's just the, like, drinking just crushes us. Like, we can't, like, after a few beers, we get, like, hungover, and it's just, it's just, we don't, we're not the go-getter party animals that we, we once were no. just our bodies don't appreciate it and luckily we had the mental awareness to say that, okay we need to get the hell out of here yeah let's find something badass to do for new year's this is not our style at all so uh we realized that we were in shot of chimborazo um another absolutely amazing volcano and so we were able to get up to um this refugio kind of like like a cabin um on the kind of mid-mountain on Chimborazo and so we arrived there uh it's like kind of right at right below like the snow line where the where the big it's again it's a snow-capped volcano it's like 20 20,000 feet yeah it's it's the point closest to the sun on planet earth because the base of the mountain is so close to the equator it actually sits higher up in the atmosphere than, or I don't know. It's the closest point to the sun. Yeah, in terms just, of just because like, of the like the 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 way like the fact that the equator is the closest part of the planet to the sun because it's somewhat elliptical. Yeah, and so Ecuadorians like to claim that it's actually higher than Mount Everest, which technically not higher, but closer to the sun. Yeah. And farther from the it's the it's the point furthest from the center of the earth, which is cool. Mm-hmm. The summit, and it was certainly hard to reach on bicycle. We yeah. rode like uh, 
climbing up there was like less than 2,000 feet from where we had camped the night before to the Refugio. Which it was at, what, we camped at 14,000 feet? 14,300, yeah. yeah. Um, which, you know, the, the metrics of the climb itself isn't that crazy, but riding up there at that altitude um, was something that we had never done before. Yeah, and it's like you start, I mean, for folks in Colorado who are listening, it's like you start, we camped the night before on the summit of a 14er and then still had another 2,000 feet to go. And we got up there and felt surprisingly good. We were talking about, like, you, you know, our lungs and our legs were feeling okay, that we could have kept riding even. Um, and we start just unpacking our gear and getting settled for the night, really excited to spend New Year's in this, like, isolated remote cabin with all these badass mountain climbers who are going to go for the summit that next morning. And then over the next few hours, we realized that our bodies were not at all recovering in the way that they usually do. And that maybe, just maybe, this whole 16,000 feet above sea level thing uh, wasn't as easy as we first thought. No. We, no. like, couldn't digest food. Like, our stomachs were just playing horrible, horrible tricks on yeah, us the entire just, time. Yeah, hor- yeah. At, like, just wicked wicked like internal farts when like you know <laughs> yeah. it's like something inside your intestines is just like a, a there's like a boxing match going on and then couldn't really sleep that night no. <laughs> I, I was on the bottom bunk and while i was laying awake for hours and hours every like maybe half hour i would hear this like rustling and this horrible horrible like desperate gasp of air from tom in the bunk above me that he was just waking up like i don't know like yeah. you know the house was on fire or that he had the worst nightmare of his life or something like <sighs> like every I'd, I'd get like a 20 minute burst of sleep and then i'd wake up and i couldn't breathe and yeah then i'd just sit up and <sighs> And I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, the people who were waking up at four in the morning or whatever to start climbing just were like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. And then, yeah, we woke up the next morning and yeah, when we had arrived at the Refugio, it was kind of like rainy, sleety, just crappy mix of weather. And we woke up to about six inches of fresh snow um, and we had about five miles of descent through the snow. So we're kind of using every trick in the book to, to stall. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, the sun will come out. It'll melt all the snow. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. And it's not just, the case. Yeah. Keep snowing, keep snowing. So we put on every single layer we have and we haven't, I mean, the last time we encountered this much snow was on, I think like the second day of the trip when we got caught yeah. in that ridiculous snow apocalypse and we sure as hell weren't riding no we were, we were trudging. trudging and uh so yeah sure enough we hop on the bikes and it ends up being just like a it was so much fun yeah it was like fun. we our bikes were absolutely killer and didn't have any problems um and it was just oh yeah a super fun way to um kind of ride into the new year um and then we had about 25 miles of just killer killer paved descent after that yeah. snowless which was which was awesome <clears throat> yeah one of the things that uh ecuador teaches you is that riding up mountain faces is really freaking hard but when you get to the top you're going to have about seven or eight thousand feet of continuous downhill and it's about the closest feeling you could get uh to flying while being on a bike coming around these huge turns with these 
awesome, awesome valleys full of like farms and homes and all this laid out below you. And you're just screaming along this ridge line without even touching the brakes, like for you know 20 minutes, not even touching the brakes as you're flying down. It is, uh, it's pretty goddamn exciting. Yeah. And that's kind of been, I mean, it's the last like probably two weeks of the trip we've had more or less any time that we're like active, actively pedaling it's been going uphill, um, but that means, I mean, it's just been kind of a pattern of getting to the top of a climb, going down to the bottom of a valley, getting up, going down, getting up, going down, um, but yeah, like Ty's saying, it's been insane because we're close enough to the Pacific Ocean where a lot of these valleys that we're climbing up and down, um, a lot of these rivers are draining out into the ocean, and at times we're close enough where these huge weather systems, these huge banks of clouds will start kind of fingering, crawling their way up um, the walls of these valleys. And we'll be kind of um, climbing up and down. And we'll be going right through these insane cloud banks. And they move in. I mean, literally within within two minutes, you'll be, you'll be riding and then you'll come around a corner and then you, it will be a whiteout. You can't see five feet in front of you. Every bit of exposed hair will have... Uh, we'll get little water droplets on it because you're in a cloud. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, you'll be at the top of a climb and you'll be sitting above, um, you'll be sitting above this, this cloud and you'll see, you know, these high peaks next to you. Um, and then you can't, we haven't been able to see the ocean, but you can kind of see where the mountains drop off and then it just gets infinitely flat, which, you know, is the ocean, which, which has been cool. Um, I think Ecuador has been like, such an awesome surprise of, at least for me, you know, Ty's been here before, um, but it was, yeah, I, I did not expect this type of landscape. I, I like, I knew we were going to be in the mountains, but mm -hmm. yeah, just so different than any mountains I've ever been in yeah. before. And what's even more amazing is that this is like just one sliver of the country that Tom and I have chose to explore. But, you know, to the west, there's amazing coastline. Uh, to the east, there is, you know, some of the densest Amazonian jungle in South America. Um, and all of this is contained within an area about the size of the state of Colorado. So yeah. it is just the diversity in such a close proximity is pretty one of a kind. Yeah. And, uh, and almost as amazing or equally amazing as all of the topography and geography that we've been seeing have been the people that we've met here in Ecuador. Um, and... I guess first off, we need to start Kindness to Strangers with our final days in Colombia, where we met up with a friend of Tom's who had worked, the two of them had worked together um, a couple summers ago, and her name was Aleja. She is just this wonderfully kind person who embraced us with open arms, you know, after not seeing Tom for years, not ever knowing me, and she took us out to dinner, and then after dinner, we get a, a knock on our hotel or our hostel door, and the owner is like, hey, um, this girl just dropped off a package for you guys. And we thought it was the strangest thing in the world because we don't know anybody in this town. And uh, Aleja had gotten us Colombian soccer jerseys. Yeah, which has now become my, uh, what I've been wearing every single day for riding, a nice bright yellow layer, and it gives us a little bit more cred. Yeah, there's wearing... been one or two times yeah. where people thought Tom was a genuine Colombian. Which is huge, <laughs> until they see my face up close and hear me talk. <laughs> so then, after the border crossing from hell, we got to Tulcan, and we want to thank the Bomberos in Tulcan 
for not only giving us a place to stay, but these guys literally rolled out the red carpet for us. We were staying uh, on mattresses, sleeping on mattresses in this room with chandeliers hanging from yeah, the ceiling. Yeah, some ceilings. sort of like event hall. Yeah, they had cooked us dinner that night. It was it was amazing. And then uh, in Ibarra, thank you to um, Aide, uh, giving us a place to stay, making us breakfast in the morning, giving us coffee, um, just really, really, really welcoming us, and um, yeah, much appreciated. And then from there, we went south to the Equatorial Line, which we thought was going to be a huge monument for us, and it ended up being pretty hilariously anticlimactic, which uh, actually ended up feeling pretty appropriate for Tom and I. We just sat, drank our beer, had a good time, uh, acknowledged that we were entering this second half of the world, finally, and then we went and stayed with this family at this campground that they run themselves on their own land. Um, and they were, again, just fantastic, super welcoming, super outgoing. So to the uh, Camping Valentine family, thank you guys. And our host in Quito, Diego, um, super accommodating, uh, great safe place to stay in the city. And uh, yeah, just, just a total character. Um, <laughs> very funny person to stay with, but uh, very welcoming, um, much appreciated. Uh, and then... Uh, Daniel um, with Cicla. Cicla, if you're ever going through Quito on a bike, Cicla is the spot to go, especially if it's a bike touring or bike packing trip. Um, they have a lot of gear, um, kind of all the essentials, and Daniel was uh, could not have been more helpful with helping us plan. He facilitates a race around Cotopaxi um, every year, so he was giving us all sorts of beta around um, best routes to get there, to explore. So thanks a lot to Daniel um, and the folks at CICLA. And then also in Quito, Quito, Quito. Right, <laughs> uh, right as we were pulling up to the apartment, Diego's apartment, where we were going to stay, um, one of the guys in this building like was walking out the door, saw our bikes, and was like, where are you guys coming from? And we told him what we were doing, and he was just like, oh, man, that is so cool. I, let me give you some money. <laughs> and we're like, you know, great. We love when this happens. It's free money. And he kind of goes fishing through his pockets, and he gets this, like, ashen look on his face. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I only have $2. <laughs> one for each of you. And we're like, you know what? That's awesome. Yeah, just one, one gold dollar coin for each of us from this random guy in this random apartment. We'll take it. Yeah. Uh, and then a big shout out to Giovanni uh, at Cotopaxi National Park. Um, Ty and I arrived much later in the day than we had uh, we had assumed with one of the hardest climbs of the trip arriving to Cotopaxi. And we get to the gate, the entrance gate of the National Park, and we realize that it's closed. And Ty looks at me, he's like, well, what should we do? And I'm like, oh, dude, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Let's just skirt by. Let's just go by the gate and we'll find a place to camp. And as I'm trying to sneak, like, we can't, you can't be sneaky with these bikes at all. So I'm trying to sneak by the gate, and I'm clunking and clacking against the metal gate. And uh, this guy opens the door to kind of the ranger cabin, uh, and he's like, what, what are you doing? And <laughs> he even, he even, like, said, I, he even <laughs> said something like, if I were to come to your house, would I, would I just walk in the yeah. back door, or would you expect me to knock? Yeah, so we're just like... like Okay. Oh, okay. Shoot. We're like, sorry. Like, we didn't. You know, we had trying to make an excuse. And then yeah. we're just like, all right. Yeah. Our bad. We want to camp here. What can we do? But this guy and, ended up being super cool. Yeah. He, he was really excited about it. Yeah. He kept coming out like throughout the night to check on us. And when he did, he would just shout, Colorado. Yeah. Como están? Yeah. He gave us a place to camp like right 
I mean, it could not have been a more picturesque place. You had a beautiful view of Cotopaxi. It was right along this river. Um, there were alpaca uh, just kind of wandering throughout the night. Um, and yeah, we woke up the next morning and he comes out to the tent. Yeah, again, Colorado, how'd you sleep? And uh, invites us in for, uh, I think I think this was Christmas Eve. 23rd. 23rd. Yeah. And he invites us in to his, to his cabin, makes us makes us tea, um, makes us eggs, and um, just oh, you're right, it was super super welcoming, super nice, and yeah, just kind of I mean, Ty and I a little bit were nostalgic that we weren't going to be home with our families for Christmas, and it was just those little things that um, he'll probably never know how much that meant to us of getting invited in and just being welcomed in yeah. that way. Um, but yeah, super nice, Giovanni. Many, many thanks, my friend. Um, much appreciated. And then after that, while we were still in Cotopaxi, as we were tooling around the park, um, there were a couple folks who picked us up, gave us a ride to the Refugio, where we got to experience, again, that horrible feeling of being at 16,000 feet. <laughs> Horribly wonderful. And then uh, gave us a uh, ride back to our camp. And uh, so, yeah, thanks to the guys who were helping us hitch around Parque Nacional Cotopaxi. Uh, and then when we were at the Refugio in Chimborazo, um, we ended up uh, talking with Biff and Debbie from California, and they were so nice. They were super interested in our trip. They were actually going to be summiting um, Chimborazo uh, on early the early hours of, of New Year's Day, and as we come to learn, Biff, this guy who we're sitting next to, has climbed all seven summits. So the highest peak on all seven continents he has done. And he was just the most humble guy. Um, we, the, Biff and Debbie actually both sat down with us and we recorded a, a small interview um, that we'll hopefully play for you guys in another episode. And it was, yeah, just amazing talking with this guy who had, who had been on top of all seven summits and was could not have been more humble about it. And yeah. I think the coolest part, he was probably, what, mid-60s? Yeah, and yeah. he hadn't started climbing in any capacity until he was forty six. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was just super. I mean, super inspiring. And Debbie, in her own right, you know, had had met Biff and Debbie met a little later in life, um, while Biff was after he had started this endeavor to become this amazing mountaineer, and Beffy just Debbie just kind of took up the charge with him and started climbing along with Biff. And she, in her own right, has been invited to, like, the Ironman World Championships to speak as a nutritionist. And uh, they were just one of the most amazing, impressive couples that we met. And it was all because the tables in the refugio were full. And they just asked if uh, if they could sit at the two seats opposite Tom and I. Um, and then also at the refugio, we met this Australian cl- climber named Dan. And uh, just one of those guys that has the the mindset of a good traveler who's open to new experiences and excited to meet new people. And he was really cool to talk to. So, Dan, thank you very much. And uh, safe travels on the rest of your South American trip. Uh, and then coming down from Chimborazo, yeah, we had that awesome ride through the snow. And then by the end of the day, it was getting pretty gross out. And Ty and I were pretty bone-chillingly cold. Uh, and we had stopped at this tiny little tienda to get some bananas and some ingredients for dinner. And this couple pulls up, what we thought was a couple, and they see the bikes. They're all excited. They're asking us all about the trip, where we're staying. And um, we tell them we're looking for uh, Castillo de Altura. And they're like, oh, that we own that place. That's my house. Yeah, and so they end up um, just totally opening the doors of, of their house to us. They usually have people 
uh, camp outside, but um, they realized that we were freezing cold and it was just crappy out. So they uh, had kind of this dining room area with the fireplace that they that they let us sleep on the floor of, and um, we had a big roaring fire. They gave us beer. They gave us food. It was just absolutely amazing. And then the next morning, we woke up to a Juan. Juan's kind of Juan's the guy that run it runs it, um, and his. Uh, was it his father or father-in-law? His father. His father, his father Juan, as well. They woke us up in the morning. Um, you guys, you guys, come on. get. Let's get in the car. We have to go check out Chimborazo. <laughs> and we're half asleep. We're like, what? Okay, yeah, sure. All right. So we stumble into their car, and they are zipping up the road, um, and they bring us to this huge valley, this huge, beautiful valley, and... Uh, it's just the most picturesque view of Chimborazo that you could imagine. And they said they were so excited because the snow level on Chimborazo only gets this low um, two or three times a year. Yeah. Um, and Ty and I are just laughing because, of course, the the couple days of a year that it snows as much as it did, we were at one of the highest points on Chimborazo and had to ride down. Um, so just, this is very fitting for, for the, for this trip, but yeah, many thanks Juan. Um, and yeah, Castillo de Altura, if you're ever by Chimborazo, great place to stay. From there, we made our way to the third largest city in Ecuador, Cuenca. And through a connection of my dad's, um, a former coworker whose name is Lisa, uh, Lisa reached out to my dad and told him that, Hey, when Tom and Ty get to Cuenca, they've got to stay with my dad, Ray. He's been retired there. He loves it there. He'll show them around. And, um, you know, it's always funny with these, like, second-degree connections. You never really know how it's going to work out. But we showed up uh, to Ray's place, and he was just incredible. Uh, threw us inside, got us all situated, and then he points out the door and he says, Yeah, you know, I've got the barbecue going. We've got friends coming over. We're going to have a big old barbecue tonight. And uh, it was just like, wow, okay, this is like welcome home. Um, so, Ray, thank you so much for, for make, making us feel at home, for showing us around, um, buying us amazing food, um, giving us all your tips about Cuenca, showing us the city. It was a favorite, a favorite stop of ours for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, leaving Cuenca, we had uh, a great stay at... A gas station just outside <laughs> of La Paz, um, but Angel, the owner of the gas station, thanks so much for giving us a spot to stay. We even got a hot shower that night, which was very unexpected at a gas station, but uh, many thanks. <laughs> From the gas station, we went to the town of Saraguro, and we stayed with uh, a couple of couchsurfing hosts named Elizabeth and uh, Anna. And Anna was actually just the roommate um, with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is the couchsurfing contact, but she wasn't home that night. So Anna, this poor woman, had just been kind of thrown under the bus to host these two gringos in her home. And we show up with bikes, and, you know, it's like, I'm sure it's such a startling Oh, yeah. And uh, she even said, she even said, she's like, uh, I've like, never, never done this before. I, I, don't, I don't do couchsurfing. Yeah. Um, it's my roommate. Um, I'm a little nervous. Like, I don't know what you guys need. And we're <laughs> yeah. just, you know, trying to laugh and be kind and, like, just call, calm her. <laughs> yeah. So she was just amazing. She brewed us tea. She started bringing out snacks. She took us out to dinner that night. Um, and then we left with the promise that we are now, uh, we're going to send her a postcard when we get to the end to give her a taste of uh, the far reaches of Patagonia. And then after that, we're going to go to France and stay with her. <laughs> yeah, perfect. 
Um, and then we had some wonderful Christmas presents that were given to us in the form of Spoke Nations. So, Nana and Pop-Pop, thank you both very much for the Spoke Nation. Um, miss you guys. Uh, ben Bros, uh, he made a Spoke Nation with a caveat that the money can only be spent on beer. Um, and I think last night we probably put that to good use. Yeah. Um, if so. we hadn't already spent it before. <laughs> yeah. It's tough to, tough to keep track. Yeah, it's tough one beer money. Yeah, yeah. You, you know. Thanks, Ben. Uh, I also would like to thank all of my amazing grandparents. Uh, Jana and Grandpa Leroy, Nana and Bob, Grandpa Jim and Paula, thank you guys so much for making me feel the love, even from so far away. Uh, it was a fantastic Christmas present, and uh, it wasn't the same as being there with you guys, but it was close. And uh, Mom and Dad, Bets and Joe, thank you for the Spoke Nation. Much appreciated. Miss you. Love, 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 love. And uh, <laughs> to my folks as well, Mark, Kelly, Mom, Dad, love you guys. Thank you so much. And finally, to uh, Lisa Switzer, our saving grace, who put us in touch with Ray in, in Cuenca. Um, thank you so much for your contribution. We really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I, I think in total we'll probably have spent, like, a month in Ecuador once we cross the border, just yeah. about. Yeah, which is a combination of a couple periods of rest days, like three or four rest days in a row, which is a little bit... Uh, extravagant for us, but mostly it's just been the hellacious amount of climbing here in Ecuador <laughs> yeah, which, that has slowed us down. It seems as if this pattern is going to continue until we reach the Altiplanos of Bolivia. Um, if you haven't looked at a map, a topographic map of Peru, um, it is an absolute monster. But uh, before we start tackling the Peruvian Andes, we're going to take a quick stint on the coast to visit the hometown of my cuñado, my brother-in-law Luis, um, in Chimbote. So we're so stoked to spend some time with him and his family, um, explore the city with Luis, and just get to see a familiar face. And then, yeah, right back up into the mountains. And it is, it's the real deal, folks. Uh, the, the Peruvian Andes are, yeah. And we, again, like the expert travelers and explorers that we are, we've timed it perfectly to coincide with the wet season. Yeah, yeah. And I think the wet season before meant that it was going to be raining a lot. And this time, it's going to be the wet season at 15,000 feet, which I'm sure is going to manifest itself in, in more extreme ways than just a downpour every afternoon. Yeah. So, I'm sure we'll have some good stories. Um, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, and they say at the end of them... Um, on Hidden Brain, they say, um, and if you have enjoyed this podcast, uh, take a minute to review it and uh, leave a comment on iTunes so other people can help. It can help other people find the podcast. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm that just, sounds I'm just, professional. Yeah, I'm just taking it from them. But I think what's really professional is that we have recorded this episode all in one take, which I believe is a first on the Spoken Tour. It is. And I don't think many other podcasts out there can say that. <laughs> no. No. But... Uh, We'll keep riding, we'll keep pedaling. Um, you, got any, you got any words of wisdom to leave these folks with? Uh, a, a Quechua saying that I've learned uh, here in Ecuador is sumac kausai. And that is just uh, sumac meaning uh, vida, life, and kausai meaning good. So it's just uh, kind of a declaration of one's intentions to live a good life. And that's what we're trying to do here. Sumac. Sumac Kausai. Sumac Kausai.
Thank you.